of a while. It is the annual Christmas episode of Shades Midweek. It's also episode 187. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a podcast about theology, culture, and all things Shades. And my name is John Mark Durow, and I'm joined, as usual, today by my co-hosts and friends, Jonathan Hafes and Brad Brown. It is Christmas time. We just got done with the Christmas Spectacular this weekend, and might I say it was a huge success very popular we had a great turnout we did so many things did you guys try the chilies i i got to try four out of the five you tried four of the five yes one of them one Why don't of, you they tell were us so which one you they didn't were try. so popular that one of them was already gone oh my by goodness the time I got there. Uh, paul nevels was oh, was wow. already gone so i didn't get to try uh mr nevels chili but i got to try all the others and might i say they were all fantastic. Well, shout out to the Spice Girls for winning with their, what was it, a white chicken chili, I believe? Something like that, yeah. It was very, very tasty, and they ended up getting the trophy, the bragging rights, for the next year until we do the chili cook-off again. They're supposed to send me a picture of where this trophy ends up because they said that it's going to be prominently displayed. <laughs> Hopefully in the foyer of their homes, so, right when you walk in. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. But... No, man, the, I think the chili cook-off was a hit, a great addition to the Christmas Spectacular as we were really bringing it back for the first time in a long time. Because um, we did one in, was it 2020? 2020 was yeah, the we, last we, one we, we did. did. And, and we did it outside. So it, it just really wasn't an official <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, it it was, I mean we count. count it. We, well, we do count it's it. Counted. This it doesn't this, count. Because <laughs> <laughs> we called this one the seventh. And and that's including that 2021. Well, maybe we should have called it the 6.5. Um, but but yeah. So it's been a while since we've been able to do a full blown Christmas spectacular. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think Bill Ferris was the most popular man of the night. Of yeah, course, Bill did balloon animals. The kids were loving it. Shout out to the winners of the tacky sweater contests. Adam Nichols won the adult division. He had a great. Lords of Leaping costume. costume, full full regalia. Yes, like I mean, just the the whole. He had a shield. That the only lit thing that was up. missing was the horse, right? He he should have had one of his children with just coconuts, like right behind him, Monty Python style. That would have been great. Yeah, and and who was the little girl that won the uh, kids division? Do I believe I've never met Olivia? her before. I believe her name was, was her Olivia. Name? Yeah. So shout out to Olivia for winning the kids division of the tacky sweater. They both got trophies and bragging rights for the next year. There were two other things that we did this year that were brand new. Um, one uh, was we had a Christmas cookie uh, decorating station. We did. Um, that was a big hit. Shout out to Miranda Cox, our intern, for running that. Yes, in, the whole night. In like a full-blown elf costume. Love um, the commitment. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, and then we did an art auction um, of art that was painted here 
at Shades. We have artists that will paint on occasion during a Sunday morning service, and we auctioned off uh, eight pieces. I know. We raised $800,000. It was incredible. (laughs) Um, We had some big-name art. uh, What do you call them? I'm telling you, it was crazy to see Elon Musk here at the Christmas Spectacular. But <laughs> I just thought of one other thing. Rare, rare items. Rare items. What I, do you say? I thought of one other thing we did for the first time. We had official MCs, and we had a duo. Yes. Uh, Annabeth Reese. That's right. And Sarah Hirsch, and they just killed it. Oh, my gosh. They were, they were so, so funny. funny. They were so funny. I wish. It great. It made me wish that we had the technology. Maybe we can try to figure this out for next year. Get them to MC again because they were out in the crowd. They were mingling. They mm-hmm. weren't just right. on the stage. They were in the in the room, walking around everywhere. Be cool if we could have a camera crew Live follow projection. them and then project it onto the screens. That would be hilarious. Uh, I would just, uh, I would love that. Maybe we can figure that out for next year. Patrick, uh, yeah, Patrick, get on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, Patrick. What's going on? Yeah, but. In a positive way to talk about Patrick, Patrick Ransound, very thankful for him, very thankful he, for everyone in the band. Glenn yep. Wall setting up the lights was insane. Thank yep. you, uh, Leah Susick, for helping run the event yes. and all of her family, extended family. Uh, yeah. Thank you to Caleb Canada, Kenny McCants, sitting, and Tommy for sitting at the front desk. This is what people night. don't realize. People don't realize, man. To pull off an event, of this magnitude. This magnitude. It was quite a magnitude. It's a big magnitude. You would have to get so many volunteers. So many. Recruit, schedule, put it on a calendar. Lizbeth Gomez got the hot chocolate, the hot chocolate. bar right. running. She yes. recruited her own family. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sing what you have to do Sing sometimes. a theme here. We I had mean, several volunteers. I don't even know all of their names who uh, supervised the bounce house. Yep, Joe. Yes. Shout out to Joe Lee for booking the bounce That's house right. and getting the photo booth going. Nicholas had to come and set it up because right. Joe, Joe yep. Lee wasn't was setting that up. Feeling well. I mean, you just see the number of people. almost our entire youth group served as runners That's between right. the kitchen and the chili pots, getting those out here for people to be able to eat. A group stayed behind to help clean up. Shout out to the men's Tuesday morning Bible study for helping us reset the chairs, see you guys, and take the <laughs> communion table back at you know seven a.m. on Tuesday. It's not always that simple to just say I'd like to do an event it takes so much blood sweat and tears and so just thanks to everyone that that were involved with uh pulling off the christmas spectacular there was one more thing oh uh john duncan won the raffle wasn't it john no john John dearman not john duncan john John duncan's gonna be emailing in like where my piece at yo (laughs) he's like wait what happened my bad john dearman had the advantage statistically speaking he had the advantage (laughs) He bought a few raffle tickets, but hey, you can buy as many as you want. That's right. And yeah. He stepped up, took advantage of that, and walked away with some beats, which I'm sure he's enjoying right now at this very moment. That's how he's listening to the Maybe podcast. Maybe he's listening to it. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> with that spatial audio spatial we audio. talked about. Yeah, balanced spatial audio. So, he's got 39 hours. Of, wireless. Uh, 40 hours 40 of battery, hours life. Of battery yeah. life. Yeah, we talked about all that stuff. Even if he has an Android, he can use it. I know. I have no idea. <sighs> it was a great, great weekend. They had the Christmas market on Saturday, which was a, a newer thing that we've done. That was all Amy Ross. She put that together. She actually got sick leading up to the event, so Kenyon had to step in and and help pull it off on that Saturday. But shout out to Amy for for doing all that. I know that we were trying to raise money for a lot of the volunteer teams here at Shays, the ministries. Yes. Um, you know, so. John Mark, I have some thoughts. So one of the things I'm thankful for when it comes to Shades is that 
we can do an event like that. Like we can say, okay, what if we just did a ridiculous Christmas event? And the thing that I love about Shades, and once again, every church has its own culture. I don't want to be overly critical. But one of the things I love about Shades is we're not sitting around saying, okay, what can we do at the end to draw everyone back in and make this about Jesus? You know, like it's not like Jonathan's getting up at the end being like, you know who won the ultimate chili cook-off? You know, we're not doing... We're not, we don't feel the need to do that. You're talking about the old bait and switch is what you're talking the about. The old bait and switch, yes. Or to, like, make, I don't know if it's the church staff feel better or to make it an outreach event. Like, we have substantive Christian, you know, services and other yeah. gatherings here on a, on a regular basis, right? Yeah. Let's not, I'm not downplaying that at all. But I just love that I'm in a church that's like, hey, let's do something kind of ridiculous and people buy into it yeah. you know like people dress up for the tacky sweater contest people yeah. love the chili they're dan- the kids are killing each other while the <laughs> band's playing you know all that's happening and i do love that about this community it's a special thing i don't want to take it for granted that's why i wanted to, to, yeah, to name that it's a community event and that's right. we come together for the community and it's it's just awesome and it, i think it helps silly it helps build up our relationships and Grow, grows relationships, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. I am by no means mocking other churches' culture or anything of that nature, but one of the things I absolutely loved was this contrast that I experienced <laughs> on Sunday night. My parents uh, attend a, a very formal uh, Presbyterian church, and there's nothing wrong with being formal or any of that. That's or, right. That's uh, right. I'm not knocking it. No. I'm not knocking it. Of course not. All right, but they attend a very formal Presbyterian church, large, very large Presbyterian church in South Carolina, and we use an app called Marco Polo to communicate with our family. We have a family group, and you can send video messages. So while we are doing the Christmas Spectacular, my parents are attending a Christmas event at their church, and my mom keeps sending these video messages. So as I am in the midst of the Christmas Spectacular, every now and then I'm opening up my phone and watching this video of like a classical like Christmas cantata with like this choir on these amazing risers in like tuxes and formal wear and ballerinas like doing wow. this dance and all that. And I, so Quite I, the production. I, I look at that video and then I put my phone down and just see kids flying across the stage, tackling one another. John Marks playing some ridiculous Ray Charles solo up there. And like, it's just madness. It's chaos. It is chaos. I just loved the contrast. It is chaos, yes. You have to love the diversity of the body of Christ. <laughs> Amen. Well, I guess let's, should we do an album? Yeah, let's we, go. We've got yeah. some things we want to talk about today before we get into the, the meat of the episode. JM, do you have a Christmas album? I've been I've been wanting to listen to some Christmas music, I mean, but... Today is all things Christmas. I can't, I can't find any. Album of the I can't find any. In the store when I go to look at CDs. Yes. Who doesn't love Stink? Who doesn't love Stink? He's a handsome man. Oh, who's his drummer? Uh, Copeland? Uh, Kenneth? Well, no, not Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> Dude, Kenneth Copeland is... It's like a television. Like <laughs> prosperity side, side note about Kenneth Copeland, real quick. Oh my word! What have you done, Brad? 
I'm sorry. It, they made a movie starring the pastors of that church, Kenneth Copeland, and I saw some clips from it on Instagram. You're, you're joking. Hilarious. I mean, that dude is is uh, heretical as all get out. But anyway, Stuart, Stuart Copeland. Wait, right? Stuart Copeland's the drummer for the police, but this is Stink. Right, right. So like solo it, stuff. The police his, have not. So he done has a different thing. No, no, no. But so he has a different for band? a long time. Because you know, a lot of times they'll pull. Well, I think probably part of the issue why the police broke up was relational issues oh. between. The okay, okay. I think his drummer was um, a real famous studio drummer, like a real famous in drummer world. Yeah. What is that guy's name? There's like a, a, if you Google like a it, Steve, there's a list. Like a Steve Gadd type. Vinny. Vinny Caliuda. Caliuda. Vinny Caliuda. Pretty sure that's his okay. drummer. Yeah. This is Sting's is. Christmas album. I had no idea he had a Christmas album. It's called If On a Winter's Night, and it came out in 2009. This track is called Soul. We we'll hope that you'll be kind with your apple and your pear. Come no more a soul until Christmas time next year. A soul cake, a soul just, cake. just makes you want to go to Europe and just be in a snow drenched village somewhere where there's no technology. Yeah. Maybe Iceland or there's somewhere. no technology. And uh, yeah, well, Iceland, You're just chopping wood. Iceland's actually green, Brad. You're, Greenland's more ice than. Yeah, but there can still be a lot of snow. Greenland. I'm, I'm just leaving it alone, man. I'm not going to get into a debate with Brad on a topic of which he absolutely knows nothing about, but is confident. Hold on. This feels so modern right now. I was thinking like Celtic, like, I don't know, maybe Danish or something. Jonathan, or uh, John Mark, do those pictures look like they have snow and ice in it? I'm just saying. I'm just bewildered there's because a, there's a lot of greenery in Iceland. Greenland says, is covered with ice. Yes, and Iceland is very nice. Yes. Okay. You never anyone, learned that rhyme. I, I remember that from the Mighty Ducks. I was about to say. I'm pretty sure I got it from the Mighty Ducks. It's like saying there's a lot of snow in Alabama when there's really like only one place that gets it. You're dating the enemy, Coach. He goes on the date. With Check him. out this album. It's by Sting. I love Sting. He's one of the greatest musicians of all time in my opinion, and he puts out a Damn. fun winter Christmas album. Get that's, the, that's a hard take. Get the hot chocolate going. Get the the soul cake going. Go take to it. your local grocery store. You th- Ask them. Go to the front and say, I need some soul cake. Buy two tickets to Iceland. They'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. Just ask for the soul cake. All right. I'd like to see a recipe. For soul cake. All right. Are we doing a Christmas book? We just might. Go ahead and cut it. For the, Merry Christmas, everyone. We cut that song short as a gift to the world. Well, we have another gift because today I have a special guest. My dear friend, the right reverend, Dr. Jonathan Haves. It's an honorary doctorate, but nonetheless. <laughs> I just gave it to him. Oh. Jonathan well. You have a book that I'm very excited about, which is why I'm bringing you on today. It's, it's not just any day that I bring someone on to Bradford's Book Club because of the, our fan base is very picky. So It's not that you just didn't have a book yourself. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, this feels like such a Christmas gift. Yeah, so, Jonathan, to, what do you have for us today? To allow me 
to, to come on here. Um, no, I, I actually I have uh, a book that I not only was very excited about when I found out it was coming out, but I got it and have been using it this Advent season. Um, so the book is called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The subtitle is A Liturgy for Daily Worship from Advent to Epiphany. Mm. It is by Jonathan Gibson, which really just means it was compiled and organized by Jonathan Gibson. That's right. So uh, didn't you feature his Liturgy for Daily Worship? I did. Um, so, so I interact it, with it on a regular basis. Yeah, so it's in the same format as that. So basically, if you're unfamiliar with like a daily liturgy, it's almost like having a miniature church service as your devotional. So uh, you, you've got a, the day before you, and uh, you've got like a, a call to worship, which will lead you into like a confession and assurance of pardon. There's a section where you'll recite part of the creed. There's scripture some, reading. There's scripture readings. There's songs where you can either sing them or just read through them or what have not. It'll end with a, a benediction. And so it, it's kind of like having a, um, whereas I think like if, if you grew up in a non-liturgical tradition like myself, you pretty much thought of a quiet time as I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to say a prayer. That's right. And it just kind of fleshes it out uh, more than that and provides uh, both rhythm and familiarity while at the same time providing variety. That's right. Um, It's very nice. And so this one uh, is designed for this specific season from Advent to Epiphany. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Epiphany, Epiphany happens uh, every year on January the 6th, and it is a celebration of the Magi coming to visit uh, the Christ child. So it really reflects on the fact the uh, of the nations uh, receiving uh, the Savior. And this, so let me, can I, can I do a little nerdy fun fact real quick? Yes, Jonathan, I'll allow it. So this is where the 12 days of Christmas comes from. Um, so most people, you mean when, it's not before Christmas, most people, when they think of the 12 days of Christmas, they think of it as a countdown to Christmas. And that's where I want to pull my glasses down on my nose and go, well, actually <laughs> that's incorrect. <laughs> Christmas day is the first day of Christmas. And then the 26th, it's the second day of Christmas. Why? Because it's 12 days until you arrive at Epiphany. And so those are the 12 days of Christmas tide. You've been in the season of Advent, Christmas arrives, we have Christmas tide until Epiphany. So this devotional takes you not just up to, most Advent devotionals only take you up to Christmas Day. This takes you through Christmas tide all the way to uh, Epiphany. Now, I know what you're into thinking. Into the new year. Into the new year. You're thinking, Jonathan, like, what good does it do to be recommending a devotional when we're already halfway through Advent? Well, mm, hard as, Brad questions. I, as Brad and I were discussing earlier, you know, the best kinds of Christmas gifts or Christmas recommendations are the kind that you can't use for an entire year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, Jay made the point, you know, when are you supposed to give it? It's like, oh, here's a gift for your Easter basket. It's an Advent devotional, right? And it's like, no. I, I get that that feels weird, but I don't it makes want more sense. Like when you get... when You as still a Christmas, have to wait to use it, though. As a Christmas present, when you... Well, then give it for like, I don't know, Halloween. Um, I don't... Do you give gifts for Halloween, John? You give candy? Why not give a book? Everyone's getting a book. Everyone's getting an Advent book in their, in their old... Uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving treat bag. A Thanksgiving gift. I don't give gifts on Thanksgiving. Do I mean, give why gifts not? On let's let's do this. A book, a book for everybody. A book for everyone. Um, so now, well, I think what we're determining though is that now is a realistic time to give this gift. 
So, and then next year, the person go. will forget that they have the book. There you well, go. see, Christmas PJs work because you can get those on Christmas morning, and you can just wear That's them. That's right. right. Well, you away. can start if you get the book on Christmas morning, you start reading it. I and agree. Go through to Epiphany. I think if you get an ornament for Christmas, just go ahead and put it up on the tree, Jonathan. That <laughs> way, it gets taken down, and then it's with all the ornaments for that entire year. And then you remember the next year, you're like. Got this ornament last year. I forgot. See, exactly. we do an ornament every year. Every one of our kids picks an ornament, and so do Holly and I. But we do it right at the beginning of December. Do y'all know what my ornament was this year? Star Wars. I spent way too much money on it. You're so close. Dave uh, Matthews. No. Lord of the but Rings. Not even, see, see, John Mark knew what. Uh, yes, that was is. too like stereotypical. I was trying it's, to be it's, creative. It's the One Ring. It's a Walmart exclusive. Wow, Jonathan. <laughs> And I paid way too much money for it. But John, Jonathan's fam, dude, your tree must be massive. If that family is each getting an ornament every year, that's like forty ornaments every year. <laughs> Our tree, okay, that so, tree. So, true adds, story. True it story. Adds up over time. True story. I mean, Our tree. No, there's there's two things that that I need to tell you. Our tree is not massive because we don't have a massively high ceiling or anything like that. Um, but two things happen. One, when you have small children, uh. Ornaments get broken every year. Absolutely Bro. every year. It's true. So some ornaments don't make it. Um, and then the other thing is my tr- tree just droops. <laughs> like it's got so many ornaments on it. Like all the branches hey. just turned down. Well, you know what our problem is this year? Our problem is that we have two cats now. And, oh, cats uh, and Christmas trees. So what we ha- here's what we had to do. We made a decision. We are like, okay, we're normally a real tree family. But with the cats this year, we didn't know how it was going to go. So we went fake tree this year just to feel it out. And they have been up in the tree. They have not taken (laughs) it down. They'll climb up in there. They'll play with each other. We have had a couple. We had one ornament break uh, the other day. And then... There was an ornament that Moses broke for some random reason. I don't even know how he broke it. He's, he's, you know, so, but we're dealing with the cats. So I get it. Like I, I, we try to pick out at least one new ornament every year. My cat growing up knocked our tree down once a year, at least, at least once a year, scaled the tree and it just came down. Um, and my family with my cousins, the thing was, we would always give ornaments to one another for Christmas. Like that was a gift swap. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We would give them an ornament. They would give us an ornament. My mom, every time, was like, you have to pretend like you're excited about the ornament, Brad. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want another ornament. Can we do, can we do something else? Like, so, I will can I get you, a PS2 game? My wife gets all the credit <laughs> for the ornament tradition, which I'm actually really excited about. It's really cool. So the kids get one, get to pick one every year. And the idea is that when they launch, they leave home, and have their own trees, they'll take their ornaments with them so they don't start right. from scratch. You know, which someone pointed out the other day, they're like, I'm sure that whoever their future spouses are are going to be real appreciative <laughs> of the random collection of ornaments. Like Asher picked a Power Ranger ornament. I'm sure his wife one day is going to love hey, that we sent that. It's either, memories, either that you know? or she's going right. to throw it She's right. gonna, she's gonna throw it's it memories, in the trash. Because for me, there's a memory associated with almost any ornament that I That's have right. on the tree. Uh, and so it makes it special. Like I have a rule that's when we go on vacation somewhere, we have to get an ornament that says the, where we went. So there if we go. went to Nashville, wow. it's got to be it. a Nashville ornament. If we went to New York City, it's got to be a New York City ornament. That's a great dad thing about it. And, and then Mark. you can look back every year and be like, hey, remember that time we went to New York? That is like, cool. Here it is right here. When we went to Europe. We got an ornament. That was cool. Yeah, I remember the it. Cat until just until the cats break it. <laughs> 
Well, I know we're running out of time because Brad just schedules things all the time, and we can't even do an episode. I'm just kidding. I have uh, a meeting with the mayor of Birmingham, okay? what? I can't reschedule that. Oh, I would be remiss. I don't have we, a meeting with We would be remiss. We would be remiss if we didn't engage in our annual tradition. That of, brings joy. That brings joy to children, to adults alike. To the world. To the world. It's really just one of... But probably not to Patty. Probably not to Patty herself. But, you know, it really brings Christmas cheer. Christmas cheer to all who hear. And for some reason, it's on the left side of the speakers. This evening, this is what it the is. dynamic Patty LaBelle. That's the Patty moment where she like peeks out of the back, like she thought she was supposed to come on stage. To the and she peeked oh, yeah, out yeah. and like had to jump back. Yeah, she just went backstage now. This Christmas now, who is, is this guy that's introducing Patty me? LaBelle. He works for the government Welcome. or something. <laughs> so he was like the organizer, like in charge of the event. Okay. Like who had been put in charge of the event. I forget his name. All right, so the band kicked in. The band sounds great. She's it's the do- army band. She she's kind of looking around, freaking out just a little bit. And if you don't know who Patty Labelle is, shame on you. Hang all the mistletoe. Lady Marmalade. Here we go. I'm gonna get to know you better. The wide shot. Fairly strong start. Where my background singer? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the iconic well, line. She admits it so quickly. I'm gonna have them all I can. I'm gonna add lip. Because I don't have the right words and I have no background. And they go to the crowd, there's someone in the crowd waving a light in the air. When they do the li- the, the wide confused. shot, I love it because there's these risers behind her. There's nobody on the riser. Where clearly there are supposed to be people. She's looking around. Now, guys, I did a deep dive this year. Yeah, I, I did. It. You can let it play. I did a okay. deep dive. I'll, I'll turn um, it down. because uh, William and and uh, Cassidy Ashley uh, sent me last year uh, a podcast episode they had found uh-huh. where they dive into like what happened at this event. Um, and they do a little bit more than that. They reflect on, like, why we're drawn to these kinds of disasters and things. And it, one of the funny uh, assessments they made is, like, that this perfectly encapsulates what every Christmas movie tries to do. Yeah. Which is, like, you have this idea of Christmas, this yeah. idyllic thing or what have not, but then it just all falls apart and yeah. goes horribly wrong. And anyway... But uh, so I listened. Oh, the background singers are here now. They're there yes, now. Jonathan. Where were the background singers? We so need to I know. listened. I listened to this episode. Y'all just should listen to it. It's only like forty minutes long. Give us the tidbits. And um, and yeah. So President Clinton is supposed to be at. The, he is at this event. Yeah. But he is notoriously apparently late all the time, <laughs> and so he's showing up late to the event. But they had to start because it was televised. Yeah. And so the guy that comes out to introduce her, I don't even know that he was supposed to introduce her. I think they're just like, dude, you got to get out there. You got to get it started. You got to I mean, delay however you can. Well, so President Clinton shows up backstage, like his like his his car, motorcade, whatever, pulls up. Because this is outside. Yeah. Um, I think it's on the ellipse. Pulls up. 
uh, while the guy is doing his introduction speech. Well, as soon as he pulls up, the uh, Secret Service has to secure the area. And the area they have to secure includes where the background singers are standing. (laughs) So the background singers are stuck backstage with the Secret Service not letting anyone out of this area until they have cleared it and cleared everyone the army there's a guy who's so it's the army band and the guy who's like in charge of the army band he's back there trying to convince the secret service to let like the music starting he's trying to convince the secret service to let the background singers go and they're like nope (laughs) this is a this could be a trick and he's like i'm trying to vouch for these people that i've met once in my entire life you know anyway Meanwhile, Patty's out there singing, not knowing where background singers are, but also, yeah, we have the cue card incident. Oh man, so, everything went wrong. So what happened with the cue cards was uh, she was asked to sing this song because she had recorded a version of it, uh, apparently like a few years before, but it was not like in her normal repertoire. Right, like she doesn't do this song yeah. ever, which is why she's like, I don't know this song. I don't know the <laughs> right, words to this. Song. Right. So, but she had failed to provide that piece of information to the the showrunners, the band, until like last minute. Classic. So, so someone, that was on her. So someone like, because um, they're like, you know, we could have gotten a teleprompter, or we could have blah blah blah. But so they have to do old school cue cards. Someone writes them out and delivers them to the guy who's going to hold them. He's a part of the army band. And he said, he's like, normally, I would have checked them to make sure they were in order. But because everything was so last minute, he just assumes the person before (laughs) him did that job. So they're just out of order. They're completely Uh. out of order. Dude, this podcast episode, they interview um, the guy in charge of the Army band. They they interview the cue card guy. They interview the guy who introduced Patti LaBelle. Our world is so insane. It's pretty fantastic. Our world is so insane. (laughs) It's pretty fantastic. Anyway. It's great. Love it. So so that's what what happened on that fateful day, but has given us – a gift. Patty doesn't talk about it. Like she won't be interviewed about it. Apparently, she's only ever spoken about it publicly once, mm. and that was so. This resurfaced in 2016, yeah. like on YouTube, and went viral. And I think it was the next year in 2017 she gets asked in an interview about it. And you can believe Patty, or you don't have to believe Patty, <laughs> but she claimed in that interview to have no memory of the incident. <laughs> Granted, she has done thousands of performances. Thousands of gigs. It is quite possible she is telling the truth. It's possible. I don't know, man. That seems like a pretty... (laughs) seems like it would stick out. You know, you could could try to make a movie with those with that same situation, and I don't think it would be as funny as the real thing. No way. There's no way to... (laughs) It just feels... uh, It's just unbelievable that that even happened. Well, John Mark, speaking of movies... You want to tell us about what we're going to do for the rest of today? Yes. So yesterday we had a special guest in the studio with us, and we have for you a special edition of Shade Cinema. It's the Christmas edition, and we're talking about the classic 1946 film starring Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. We hope you enjoy. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. 
And to continue with all of this holly jolly fun that we are having today, we have a special guest with us here in the booth that's joining us for today's very special Christmas episode. Everybody give a warm round of applause for Mr. Nicholas Coker. Man. Nicholas All right. is here. It's the real live studio audience. Yes. I've always wanted to see it. Yeah, they're so excited. Here. here they are, <laughs> right here in the flesh. Oh, Nick. Can I call you Nick? Say Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know why that just came out of my mouth. I've never called him Nick in my life. I've always called him Nicholas. Maybe it's the Christmas thing. That's right. And I was, you know, St. Nick. So Saint much Christmas Nicholas. spirit. I don't know. <laughs> No, man, we really are glad that you have come and joined us for today. We'll tell everybody why we uh, specifically wanted you here for the Christmas episode, which, fun fact, last year's Christmas episode, when we called a number of people, we called you. That's right. Ah. So if people are real faithful listeners, they'll know why you're here. But it all connects. We'll talk about that <laughs> later. First, uh, there may be, I know this is hard to believe, but there may be some listeners out there who are not familiar with the Nicholas Coker. <laughs> so, we obviously don't have time to do a full-on meet a member. We'll bring you back to do that sometime soon. But give us just a quick: Who are you? What What is Nick? Why is Nicholas Coker? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here by the will of God. There we go. Um, <laughs> I'll start. I'll start there. Uh, but no, I'm a uh, I'm an Alabama original, born and raised right here in Birmingham. Uh, my whole life, I uh, grew up going to uh, Briarwood. Took a little break from Birmingham to go to college. Went to Alabama over in Tuscaloosa. Man, the room just got so tense. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I know. I'm uh, looking at JM wearing this uh, heretical. Uh, oh yes, yeah, beautiful over hoodie there. I have on. A right. house divided. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh yeah, but uh, but I went to Alabama and I uh, I studied telecommunication and film, um, and now I work in uh, video production. And I've done some videos for Shades, in fact. Mm -hmm. uh, still working on some more. But, yeah, that's exciting stuff. Uh, but, yeah, and that's uh, that's part of the reason I'm here today is to talk about one of my favorite films, and that's It's a Wonderful Life. It is a mm. wonderful life. And before we get into that film, I did need to ask you one more thing about your wonderful life, just for context for people. Sure. Are you married, Nicholas? Yes, I am. I'm glad you asked because <laughs> this is an exciting reveal for those who don't know. Uh-oh. Uh yep. Uh, Mrs. Jolie Coker there you go. is my wife. Yeah, Jolie uh, is the leader of our children's ministry here at Shades. Uh, I had the honor of officiating y'all's wedding. That's right. How long ago now? A year and a half? Two yeah. years? Two? It was August of 2022. There you go. And any other news you may want to share? Life developments? <laughs> you know, It's a Wonderful Life becomes increasingly relevant to me every year. And uh, earlier this year, I was showing a lot of friends and family a clip from the movie where George Bailey comes home and his wife Mary says, uh, George Bailey lassos the stork. And I did that because we got a baby on the way. Hey. First baby. There it is. Baby there Coker. It is. So exciting. That is awesome. Man, we're so glad uh, just that the Lord brought you and Jolie here to Shade. Y'all become just a integral. Is that the right way? Did I say that the right way? I don't know. Integral. Integral. <laughs> inter integral. Part of this integral. community. You are an important part of this community. And, dude, we're really, really thankful um, for how you use your gifts uh, here at Shades, and we're thankful you're going to use those gifts with us right now in the booth. Because as you mentioned, 
uh, majored in film studies. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> Telecommunication and film. There you go. Mm. Yep. In fact, I think I was the last, we called it TCF, the last TCF major. They changed it to journalism and creative media, and I think I'm the last one who didn't switch over. Oh, oh well, wow. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, and I've, I've seen a number of uh, short films and things of that nature that you have done, because you have a website where there's some work up in there. Absolutely, yeah, nicholascoker.com. There you go. Oh, I, got, I gotta go to this. We can throw it in the show notes. Oh, there's some fun stuff. There, there is much fun to be had, Brad. <laughs> I, I discovered it when I was sick. I don't know what I was sick with, but I was bed bound, and I enjoyed myself for a little while. It brought me joy amidst my pain. Oh, this is cool. But yeah, check it out, NicholasCoker.com. But so every year we obviously we, we do a Christmas episode, and this year we were like, man, you know, the last couple of years we've called people, we've asked them like favorite songs, favorite Christmas traditions, these kinds of things. I, I don't know that we need to do another episode like that. Have we run out of things to talk about? And you just, the Lord provided through you a different avenue <laughs> at which to tackle a Shades Midweek Christmas episode by doing a Shades Cinema Christmas episode. And talking about this movie, It's a Wonderful Life. So I'm going to be quiet and turn this over uh, to the real film buffs in the room, and I'll just become color commentary from here on out. Well, Nicholas, why do you love movies so much? Tell us about what maybe what got you into movies and why do you like talking about them? Good question. You know, it all started when I was a little kid, about 11 years old, Um and uh, it was it was a good year because uh, they had just released new DVD editions. This feels like the start of a movie. I was 11 <laughs> years old. It was a good year. Right, right. And they had just released new uh, DVD editions of all the Indiana Jones movies. And not only that, but Lego Indiana Jones, the video game, had come out. And a bunch of Lego Indiana Jones toys. And so it's summertime. Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls on the way. Little did I know that would be the first real disappointment of my life. <laughs> but I, I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I said, whatever this is, I want to I wanna do this right here. Yeah. Mm. And that movie where Yahweh's power is just on display. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, I saw that, and I loved it. And so, you know, I, ha I had the toys. I watched the movies. I said, you know what? I can do this. And I started doing little stop-motion Lego, they call them brick films, uh, Lego stop motion uh, videos with, with my Lego Indiana Jones, Lego Star Wars toys. And from there, I just uh, continued to love movies. Uh, I just watched them more and more. My dad's a big uh, movie guy, too, um, and he loves the um, home theater stuff, so we always had an awesome screen and awesome sound system in our house. That was a great privilege. So I got to watch some awesome movies, great exhibition in my own home. We were early adopters of Blu-ray. That was a big deal. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, mm. I'm rambling here. Uh, like I said, just watched a lot of movies and wanted to make them myself, and uh, that's what led me to study it in college. And um, by the grace of God, I've been able to use uh, the gifts he gave me to make some of my own films, as, as Jonathan mentioned. Uh, I've made three so far. Um, and uh, I just love movies, and I love seeing God's truth uh, in mm -hmm. the movies. Uh, I'll get into that over the course of this uh, podcast episode. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're stories, and the medium of the movies, you know, where you get moving pictures and lights and sound and all that exciting stuff, it's just a really effective and uh, compelling uh, medium, I find. And I've always just loved it and the ways you can tell stories with it. 
Yeah, so It's a Wonderful Life. When's the first time you watched this movie? I probably first watched it when I was about 13 years old. I remember I was in seventh grade, and we were also early adopters of Netflix. We had the, okay. the DVD oh, yeah. mail-in thing. Yes. And so we, we got it through that, um, and I think I was bored for most of the movie at that time. <laughs> um, it had not it did not touch me at That's that That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And as I was watching it again last night, uh, some of the banking jargon and conversation at the <laughs> beginning, I was like, oh, that's why I checked out because I had no idea what was right. going on. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I think I was bored. Uh, but it, it changed when I got to high school. Uh, I mean, naturally, I was growing up. But my school actually did uh, the play version of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and at that point, I was I was getting really into theater and acting, so I loved Jimmy Stewart. I was like, "Oh man, he's he's one of the best. I wanna I wanna play his character." Well, I didn't end up playing his character. I ended up playing Mr. Potter, <laughs> who was the opposite of who I wanted to play. Uh, I was like, "Oh man, I gotta be the bad guy, and I gotta be old. And I gotta sit in this wheelchair the whole time." <laughs> oh my gosh, I hated it. Uh, but uh, but the play was was a lot of fun to do, and that's where where my love really uh, developed. For it, and and I'll mention this too that like I feel like any any other person who's acted in theater can uh, can like will know what I mean here. It's one of those things where I maybe couldn't recite the movie, but because I did the play, memorized all those lines, I kind of know the whole thing when, right. <laughs> when I'm going into it. So that's that's a kind of strange experience, uh, but it's there nonetheless. But yeah, I, like I said, that's about the point where I really started to love the movie, and um, as I watch it every year. I just find it to be more and more relevant, as I've already said, and I just find so much truth in it. Um, and shoot, I'll go ahead and uh, drop this bomb. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get my first talk hot take of the day. Uh-huh. Uh, I think this is the best film that there is. Wow! 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 Okay, that is a hot take. That is a big claim, and we're excited to hear more about why you think that, Nicholas. Because Citizens Kane just fell out of his chair over there, (laughs) (laughs) and the Godfather. There's a horse head in your bed in the morning. Right. Oh my word! Big, uh, big claim. No, I man. love it, man. I do. I, I like a hard take. It. Yeah, I like it. It's a good start. Passion, man. Um, well, I think there's probably a lot of people that that would agree with you, at least in the fact that it is considered widely considered one of the greatest films of all time, and has has been regarded as such, and has been, you know. What's in this Wikipedia entry somewhere? Uh, yeah. National Film Registry by the Li- Library of Congress is preserved there. It was on the AFI's Greatest American Films Ever Made list several times, and then once on the Greatest Movie List of all time. So, yeah. One of the ways I think that you can see the cultural impact of a film or a story like that is how much it gets remade. And while It's a Wonderful Life, like, technically as the film has not been remade to my knowledge there are so many films that are it's a wonderful life just oh, yeah. with a different name but and it's not just films like there are cartoons like 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 the whole idea of like taking a character who is either down on their luck or whatever and not seeing the value of their life and showing them their life as if they are showing them the world as if they never existed like that that's just done so, so much. And I think totally. that that's just a testimony to the impact that it's had, you know, just over the years. 
culturally. Yeah, well, Brad, when was the first time that you watched it? You kind of mentioned it already, but apparently not a big fan. Okay, no, <laughs> at first. Impressed. It's not that I'm not a big fan. As a kid, I think I was bored, and then it wasn't one of those staple Christmas movies that we always watched as a family. Maybe my dad would. I wonder if part of it was it was in black and white, and as a kid, that always kind of threw me off a little bit. But it wasn't one of the staple films. And then, for whatever reason, not intentional, I don't think I watched the movie until <laughs> last night. Like, I've seen parts of it. I knew the storyline. I knew I wasn't like, an angel? What? What's happening here? You know, like, nothing was throwing me off. What a twist. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> last night was, I think, maybe the first time that I've watched all the way through it in just one sitting, so... Yeah, I mean, I watched it some as a kid. I, I couldn't tell you how old I was, but definitely young enough to not understand what's going on kind of in the first two-thirds of the film. And then, but understanding the basic premise at towards the last 30 minutes of, oh, wow, this guy is, is he's being shown a glimpse of what his life would be like if he had never existed and so that always I always loved the last part of the film the most and it's funny when I go back and rewatch it I forget how how uh, long the first half of the film is or the first two-thirds and how it doesn't get to that until there's like 30 minutes left I think as a kid probably because I had tuned out the first parts I thought, oh, this movie's just—it's just him being shown what it's like when he's not born. But it's really just like the last thirty minutes. It's like right. pretty quick. Yeah. Right. Well, I was talking about all the jargon. Even last night, I'm like googling stuff. Like, what is a run-in on a bank? Or you know, in the middle, I'm like, what's happening here? So yeah. Well, Jonathan. I, I have a little bit of a different uh, experience, and I don't know—I don't know exactly how old I was the first time I saw it. If I had to guess, I'm going to guess that I was a little bit older than all of you. I'm going to guess I was probably in the range of 13 to 14. Um, because it, while I think that I wasn't like riveted or, or anything like that, and I probably was like, ah, oh, it's in black and white, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I did enjoy the movie, and I especially by the time I got to the end of it, I mean, I remember being really impacted by it and, and crying. Um, even as like a 13, 14 year old. And I think, I think it impacted me for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I can be a little bit up in my feels. Um, sometimes, uh, this, this what are you is... talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, it's, it's easy for a, a film to impact me emotionally. Um, and, uh, another one of the reasons is my grandmother was like I was watching it with, I know my mom and my grandmother, my grandmother who passed away several years ago was born in 1920. And one of the things I remember doing as we're watching this movie is the math to figure out how old my grandmother was when the movie released. My grandmother was 26 when the movie released. And so I remember that kind of like pulling me in, like just as a grandchild, a little bit of like, I, I felt like I was getting a glimpse into the world of like my young adult grandmother. Um, and so then subsequently over the years, we by no means did we watch it every year, but it was one that I definitely like y'all, like my appreciation only grew from there. But I remember, I mean, I remember like I, I massively connected early in the movie with the, the scene uh, at the drugstore. Um, and with the scene uh, where he saves his brother, I know we're going to get into this kind of stuff later, but 
but all of the emotional high points, right? Um, yeah. These things really grabbed me. Um, I, I connected very much with the love story. I thought that the entire, you know, robe and bush incident was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen <laughs> as like a 13, 14 year old boy. Um, <coughs> so, but anyway, but I grew in love of it. And then when Holly and I got married, that's when I had kind of my second go around with this movie because Holly refused to watch it. Oh, no. Like our first year married. I'm like, Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to watch this wonderful movie? Wonderful's literally in the title. Um, and Holly's only objection, she was like, I hated that movie as a kid. I'm like, why? Because it's in black and white. That was her only objection <laughs> at all. And it would be years Years and it would take my same grandmother being present and wanting to watch the movie to get Holly to watch it again. And Holly still does not want to sit down year after year to watch this thing, but is willing to say that it is a good movie. So, well, there you go. That's my relationship with the film. Now, <laughs> this is a little bit of a sidebar comment. Welcome to the podcast of complete randomness, Nicholas. But um, I watched it in color. Yeah, last <laughs> night because I was How? just kind of curious. Is, so, is there a colorized version? A cursed, so colorized one, version. I want. I have yes. two questions. One is Jonathan's question. How? How? <laughs> and Nicholas, you're a person that can answer this. How do they do that? One, and then two. What are your thoughts? Does it dis- does it destroy, um, you know, watching the movie as you would like? And intended to be watched. Go and, ahead. And to piggyback off of Brad's questions, Nicholas, I I texted Nicholas today and was like, "There's this weird colored colorized version <laughs> on Prime Video that I'm watching right now that I've never seen before. I've only seen this in black and white. What's going on?" But then I was like, "Let's just save it for the podcast." So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's this uh, this colorized version of the movie. Uh, any version, any like physical copy you buy has that. And I always just use it as a pizza cutter or something. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, uh, this conversation, apparently this conversation is revealing to me. I guess there's just a lot of people who are averse to it being in black and white. I mean, that's why they do it. Because I'm always just like, why do they keep peddling this thing? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, nowadays you can do it with AI. Uh, but right. uh, it, it's, they, they used to do it by hand, like frame by frame, didn't right, they? Right, yeah, colorize them? back in the old days. Uh, but I like back in those like like silent movies where they would do that. Uh, of course, they weren't very long back then, so it was a little, right. it was a little easier. Mm. But um, the colorized version comes up first boo. on Amazon Prime. <laughs> you have to like click the one that's like black and white See, version. I didn't, yeah. See, I didn't even know that, so... Yeah, so it's 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 similar to I guess what AI does now. It's kind of like uh, I, I've never done it, so I, <laughs> I can't give you a full insight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you just uh, this special software where you can identify and I guess one frame, you know, here's this person's skin, here's the the color it's supposed to be, and it'll sort of figure that out, and then it'll figure it out for the rest of the the frames in there, and then you can kind of clean, clean them up. So that's how this movie. Uh, was colorized, but yeah, it's a, it's about like uh, it's about like watching a movie in the wrong aspect ratio. Yeah. It's just you you lose a lot of what the the director was doing, which is unfortunate because because this movie has just such good shooting. Mm, it's it it's incredible, uh, and and the color format is part of that. You know, movies that are yeah. shot in black and white. You know, that's that's intentional. Right. Just so everyone knows, mm. for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to have the colorized version playing in front of me silently because <laughs> this is weirding me out. Yeah. But it is making me hopeful that maybe I can convince my wife to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's, it's really hit or miss in parts, too. Sometimes it's like, wow, it looks like they just shot yeah. it in color. Yeah, and then other parts, you're good. like, he looks yellow. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, like jaundice or something. Like, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> what happened to their skin. Exactly. Well, do we want to move into the plot now? Like, well, yeah, walking through the movie? That's what I was going to say. Uh, for those who have never seen It's a Wonderful Life, obviously we're going to spoil everything and talk about it, so you should yeah. probably have turned it off a long it's time ago. It's from 1946. <laughs> like, you've had time, people. It's a Wonderful Life is a 1946 American Christmas. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. Supernatural drama film. <laughs> yeah, man, it starts in outer space. How many Christmas movies is, start in outer this space? This is wild. What are we doing out here? It's crazy. It's like a reverse <laughs> screw tape letters with two angels mm. talking. Yeah, there you go. Of, instead of two mm. demons. I was yeah, that. Uh, produced and directed by Frank Capra. It is based on the short story and booklet, The Greatest Gift, self-published by Philip Van Doren Stern in 1943, which itself is loosely based on the 1843 Charles Dickens novella, A Christmas Carol. The film stars James Stewart, also known as Jimmy Stewart, as George Bailey, a man who has given up his personal dreams in order to help others in his community and whose thoughts of suicide on Christmas Eve bring about the intervention of his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody, played by Henry Travers. Clarence shows George all the lives he touched and what the world would be like if he did not exist. Okay? So that's like your basic synopsis. And like like it's been said before, widely considered one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, a couple of fun facts. The whole town, they built that entire town for the shooting of the film. They built it on a movie ranch in Encino, and at the time, it was wow. one of the biggest sets for a movie that had ever been built. Hmm. I think it took them like two or three months to build, build out. 75 buildings, like they did the whole thing. Like that whole town. Like the whole building? Like not just like a front to the building? I mean, they... No did. green screens, Brad. <laughs> this is back when they did real stuff. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. This isn't Avengers or anything. Uh, another... Wild fact, according to, I don't know who this person is, Bobby Anderson, I don't know who that is, in the confrontation between Mr. Gower and young George, uh, the actor for Mr. Gower was actually legitimately drunk during the scene and slapped the child for real and made his ear bleed. So when you see... Oh, wow the blood in his ear apparently that's real and then uh obviously this is why 13 year old me was moved and you jokers were just bored you bunch of heartless no that was this is i I will say that was always the part that i was like oh i was always like dang that's yeah and that couldn't happen now in hollywood because hollywood's gotten soft (laughs) right i mean in defense of of mr gowers young george was a jerk a lot (laughs) Right. Say brainless. You don't like coconuts. <laughs> These yeah. are jokes, yeah. people. They're just yeah. jokes. Uh, one more. We do not in- condone That's violence right. just to be towards clear. children. Just to be clear. One more all. bizarre fact about the movie, and then we'll actually get into like the important stuff. But on May 26, 1947, the FBI issued a memo stating, and this is from the memo, so part the, whoever the source is, it's redacted. So you, I don't know who the source is, but it said... With regard to the picture, It's a Wonderful Life, redacted, stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers 
by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. Oh, no. In addition, uh, Redacted stated that, in his opinion, this picture deliberately maligned the upper class, attempting to show the people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Film historian Andrew Saris observed as curious that the censors never noticed that the villainous Mr. Potter gets away with robbery without being caught or punished in any way. What's interesting in the FBI critique is that the Baileys were also bankers. <laughs> and what is really going on is a struggle between the big city banker Potter and the small banker, the Baileys. Capra was clearly on the side of small capitalism, and the FBI was on the side of big capitalism. <laughs> Pretty wild This is going to be our stuff. most controversial episode ever. Um, oh, no, I, uh, that was I, my first takeaway from the film, is this is right. communist propaganda. Dude, I watched uh, it. And the FBI was just out there doing wild stuff. They're watching <laughs> movies. They're like, I did watch... Uh, this one little YouTube video, who the whole like Mr. Potter thing, uh, w w with the scene where the guy, uh, the Baileys had given a guy a loan for five thousand dollars to build a house, and Potter's whole argument's like he can't afford it. The the dude commenting on it was like, in Mr. Potter's defense, this is what caused the housing bubble and market crash of <laughs> two thousand and eight. He's like, is Mr. Potter the good guy? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So right. those are anyway, some fun, anyway. fun, interesting facts. Well, it bought nice. it uh, bombed in the box office. Yeah, Foss. is that right, Nicholas? Do you have any info on that? I do find this fascinating. That uh, yeah, it wasn't very successful, and then it became public domain. Yeah, and, yeah, and so a lot of a lot of older generations can tell you. That it's like, oh yeah, it was just on TV on like every channel at Christmas because it, it was public domain. Right. I don't know how it got not public domain. I don't know how that yeah. works. But Seems like that happened really fast because normally yeah. with like with like songs, for example, like copyright, the, the it goes public domain, but it has to. It's got to be like seventy years or right. seventy five years or something like that. Well, there, there's a lot of weird, weird rules that this was the 40s, that we man. don't have anymore. <laughs> one right. one right. of them one of them has to do with what you mentioned where. The uh, uh, copyright term was not as long back okay, then. Okay. And I think okay. you had to also renew it uh, even sure. before it reached that point. And so you'll notice from the beginning, the opening title, this is made by Liberty Films, who's not one of the big six you know, right. movie companies. Uh, and they just went under. So they couldn't gotcha. renew it. And that's, that's how it... But yeah, there's all, there's all sorts of weird rules that... Like, like back then, you had to like put the... You had to make sure the word copyright and the year and the rights holder were like on the film, the printed film somewhere, or it was just immediately in the public domain. It's it's really strange. That's crazy. So maybe a part of it going public domain though is kind of gets us where we're at today, which is like everybody watches it every year. Yeah. And it's kind of lauded after the fact as like a masterpiece, even though in its time it was not a lot of people went to go see it, I guess, in the theater. So totally. It's kind of wild. Well, what are what are some themes? What are some things that you'd like to to talk about with this film? Because you've you've seen this a lot, Nicholas, and and I know you have a lot of thoughts, and uh, would just love to hear them. So we can yeah. just start wherever. It, yeah, I think that's we've got a good seg segue into it of that kind of question of why you know why wasn't this such a huge hit yeah. uh, when it came out? And so I'll start off by saying that uh, I think I think two there's two big 
biblical truths that this movie uh, showcases. I try to try to look at that in every movie I watch, or look for that rather. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is is Proverbs sixteen nine, which says that the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps or establishes his steps. Uh, and so I see that big time. And then I also see I forget the reference for this, but I'm sure y'all know it. The uh, classic, you know, whoever would lose his life will save it, but whoever saves his life will lose it. Um, those two ideas I see, or and also uh, from John, you know, uh, greater love is no one than this that he laid down mm-hmm. his life for his friends. Those those three are huge in this film. And uh, so as for why it wasn't successful uh, or so successful at first. Um, is that uh, you know number one? Like I said, it's it's not made by one of those big six, mm. so movies were vertically integrated back then. So uh, right. it was kind of you just couldn't see those movies as easily if they came from a smaller studio. But uh, I think also it's part of what makes it so good is probably why it wasn't a hit right off the bat because it comes right at the right after World War II ends, and that is the pinnacle of that uh, belief in the American dream. Right, specifically. Uh, I can be whatever I want, you know. I can be, you know, rags to riches. I can be, go from, you know, living on the streets to being a being a millionaire. Uh, that that was just at its pinnacle, and this movie uh, gives a more honest version of that, where it says that that that's maybe not what it is. Maybe it's you being a part of your community. And you can have a family. Mm-hmm. And the real American dream is you realizing that that is something that you've won, you know, through through the American system. And and like I said, it's 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 biblical truths too. Frank Capra was uh, he was an Italian immigrant. Uh, he's a Catholic man, and uh, so you know, his other films you see this too. This very uh, you know naked American. Uh, what am I trying to say? Not nationalism, but, you know, belief in, in, in the American spirit. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is paired with, uh, you know, the, the biblical basis behind some of those ideas. And in this one, you just mm. see it on display. It's, it's, very, it's a very prescient film. Um, and there's just a lot of universal truths that you see all throughout it. Okay, Nicholas. You're, I'm just sitting back and enjoying this. So yeah, me too. So you made the I'm claim. I'm literally enjoying it. You listening made, to him talk about it while I'm watching. You it. made the claim. <laughs> you made the claim that this is not just the best Christmas film, mm-hmm. or not that this is just one of the greatest films, but that this is the greatest film. This is the greatest, yes. So you've already begun to talk about it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But for those who are asking the question, why, Nicholas? Why? How? <laughs> would you try to persuade them? Sure. Uh, well, it, it, and it comes down to a lot of what I just said. Um, so look at us just moving so naturally through this. I know, right? It's, beautiful. I know it's like we've done this our whole life. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so so there there's an objective component uh, to to story. I would say um, where you can say this this is objectively better than this. And if you're gonna make the claim this is the best movie of all time, you got to believe something like that. Um, and so uh, the question is, what determines it? You know, you can say it's formalism where it's like, okay, well, this movie has the best shooting. You know, this is just, it's really creative. It just tells the story really well. This movie has the best editing. It has the best acting, the best sets, whatever. You can chalk it up to the, and just kind of add them all up. You could do that. 
Um, but I would say it doesn't end there because you still have that question of, you know, okay, well, still, how are those things good? What, what makes them what makes them good? What it comes down to, I would say, is truth. How how true is it? You know, and, and that doesn't have to be super complicated. I mean, sometimes you get these really beautiful allegories like Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia, where it's like, here's this epic fantasy world that illustrates the the truth of Christ and good and evil just very transparently, but in this really creative way. You can have stuff like that. Or you can have stuff like uh, like Paper Moon or The Apartment, where it's just like here, or, or Raging Bull, where it's like here are just some really intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. And this is how, this is them really on display. And so that is, that truth is what then motivates the formalism. You know, so what makes good cinematography? Well, it's, it's, it's good cinematography that tells that truth well, makes sure it gets said. The same thing with acting. You know, in a film like this where you don't have necessarily very stylized acting, you know, are they acting, are they behaving like real people? And how is that behavior as real people communicating what we see in real life or the truth that we, that we learn through the Bible, through Christ? Um, that, that is what does it. And so I would say It's a Wonderful Life just is, you know, filled to the brim with that truth and communicates it better than any other film in a very affecting way. Jonathan? Um, man, <laughs> just as you're talking about, I mean, y'all are asking a guy who's in the middle of watching a movie. I, I know. Mean, I, I understand. Know. Watching um, a movie and recording a podcast at the same time. No. Um, no, just as you were talking through uh, the the different themes, um, honestly, the the first one that you mentioned, um, the the proverb, you know, uh, uh, a man, oh gosh, I can't remember. Plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Um, like I, I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like from the the filmmakers' uh, perspective, that that almost feels like the main driving force. Like if you just think about, it feels like that's playing out at every single moment and turn in George's life. So if we just like ran through, what are all of the disappointments? Like he makes plans. And they don't work out. Yeah, you know, um, like help me think through the sure. examples of that in well, the film. Yeah, he wants to. Uh, I'd say the first one he wants to travel the world mm-hmm. and go to college, which uh, is is a is more a, a broader goal of his, which is uh, just to be that be that conqueror, uh, and that that is in the heart of every man. Uh, and that's when this film really started to mean something to me is when mm. I got when I got older and you know you start to realize oh I know exactly what he's going through um, yeah. and so you you see that you know so w- it manifests when he wants to go to college but his dad dies and they vote that he either runs the building or loan building and loan or they shut it down and so he has to make that sacrifice right there you see it again when his brother Bailey or uh, Harry Bailey comes back uh, from college. And he can't take it over for him. He has to stay again, um, and and it just it just continues. He has to you know he has to make that sacrifice of his of, wedding, of, his honeymoon. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yes. He so many stays, sacrifices. Yep. Which is happening right in the midst of the stock market crash. The right? money they get, they use to keep the bank. The money mm-hmm. they get for the from the wedding, they use to keep the bank afloat. Yep. Yeah. Which that money, I guess, was going to go towards his honeymoon that 
probably didn't go yeah. on. Which can I just say that even as a kid, like when that scene unfolds, the bank rush, and he gets in there and like basically proposes the plan of like, hey, I've got, you know, we have, and it's Mary actually that mm-hmm. holds it up. So you see Mary like supporting him yeah. in that role as well. Like, like she comes behind uh, alongside of him and is like, you know, we, we've got $2,000 or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But even as a kid, like the very first guy in line who wants all of his money, two hundred and something, like dollars, something dollars, yeah, I I wanted to punch that guy even then. <laughs> yeah, like come on, man. He, he right. wouldn't back off either. He was like, no, player. I want the two hundred. <laughs> the next person's like, I'll just take twenty. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know what it is about me. Do y'all have this urge when you watch the movie? Every step of the way. I'm like, dude, just walk out of that room. Do not go back to that bank. <laughs> and then when they're in the wedding, I'm like, don't get out of that car, man. Don't do it. Just go on your honeymoon. Travel the world. Like, I have that impulse throughout the movie. Yeah. And then at the end with him, uh, the $8,000 randomly getting lost. And, it's, you know, it being such a fluke and that being so out of his control, you know, that could completely ruin him, send him to jail. Right. I, d- I don't want to take us too far afield, and so if this will take us too far afield, y'all just say so, and we'll shut it down. <laughs> but uh, as both a counselor and a pastor, Brad... I'll have the answer for sure. Um, No, you just bringing up that that instinct and that feeling of, like, just stay in the car, man. Just, just go on your honeymoon and all that. Like, I think we all, you know, feel that as we watch the film, but not only do we feel that, I, I think that to a certain extent... Like, what's being admired in this film, his self-sacrifice that has, yes, in the long run, this incredible result that he eventually sees, you know, through what Clarence the Angel takes him through and all of that, but he, he doesn't see it as it's going, you know. But, like, I, like, that's clearly being valued by the film. Yes. Those acts of self-sacrifice. Yeah, totally. Where I think that, like... I don't know. It's interesting to think, like, in our current culture, uh, with an emphasis on, like, the need for, like, self-care and making sure you're taking care of yourself and yada, and all of those kinds of things. Like, I don't know. Like, it just – do you feel the tension mm-hmm. right there between, like, you know – I mean, George, like, okay, it was your dad's business, but come on. I mean, is this really what's best for you and the family? And blah, blah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I guess how would you speak to Christians – who feel that tension between like, okay, as a believer, I feel called to love self-sacrificially. And he does in ways that cost him and change the course of his entire life, you know? Yep. But the tension between that and then like, you know, feeling, uh, is this a situation where I need to sacrifice? Or is this a situation where I, I need to like care for myself and my own needs? And yeah, you know, I'm just curious how you would speak to that tension. I mean, it's it's a massive question that I would love to do a separate podcast <laughs> on. That's nice called dodge. That's called punting. Um, no, it's a great question. But here's one of the things that I think is interesting that stood out to me. I think I would feel differently if he was doing it for his church. But he's not doing it for his church. Stay with me. He's doing it for his city. Like he's doing it for the it's society. The community. He's the, doing it's it. The town. He's doing it for the community, yeah. and I think I don't have that kind of locatedness. Like I don't. I live in Homewood. I don't have that. And maybe I need to think through this more. But I don't have that kind of sacrificial. Like I'm not going to go on my honeymoon so that people in Homewood 
can be okay or taken care of. Does that make does that make sense? Like yes, that no, sense it, of it, no, it it makes perfect community. sense. But, but I think that that's where like, I mean, my greatest sense of locatedness um, would would be in the church community. Yes, me too. Like yeah. I could see I could see making that kind of sacrifice for um, my my brothers and sisters. A member, I yeah. And I, I think that that may speak a little bit more uh, broadly to just kind of where we are culturally, societally, you know, and the dis- the kind of disconnected and dislocated lives that we live, the disembodied lives that we live. Hey-oh. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Current Advent series. Uh, anyway, but no, I, yes. I get what you're saying there. Totally. I totally get what you're saying. I, I've talked too much. I'll go ahead. Well, there was, a, there was an article that I found, and I, I took some of the quotes from it, but it was from the Christian Post, and this writer was talking about why she thought – People liked the movie, but maybe they didn't just kind of generally love the movie that aren't picking up on some of the Christian themes that we've talked about and that are are definitely present in the film. Mm -hmm. And she talks about community, and she says, I believe we love this film because so many of us have lost a sense of community, and some 60% of us move away from our hometowns, which research reveals can lead to long-lasting depression and shorter lifespans, thus... We gaze hungrily at scenes of pleasant small-town life where everybody knows everybody else and cares about their neighbors' well-being, sharing in one another's uh, joys. And so, I mean, I think you guys are definitely hitting on something that's definitely present and also just gives you a snapshot into just a different America, I think. that yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. we're, we're almost... Uh, a century removed from this film. It's about, you know, about 80 something years or whatever. And, and you're also coming at a time where we're post world war two. And so there's this, there is a sense of community within the country as a whole of, we have just good has just triumphed over evil. And so yes. there, there's a lot of those themes that are playing out throughout the film as well. Jonathan raised his hand. John Mark, you, you made a light bulb go off. I'm going to bring it full circle and land the plane. <laughs> I'm going to land the plane. So maybe, maybe the reason the film doesn't feel the same tension that I'm talking about between, Mm -hmm. like, you know, self-care versus being self-sacrificial, maybe is because George Bailey is so embedded in the community and a part of the community that, like, it blurs the line between self-sacrifice and self-care because caring for the community in a way is also practicing care for myself because I'm a part Woo! of it. And this yeah. is a this is a bigger a thing bigger than me that I that yes. I'm part of. so so I'm going Ephesians 5 here with instruction specifically to husbands mm-hmm. to love their wives because he who loves his wife loves himself. Mm. You know? Yep. Um like it is a form of of caring for yourself. And so it kind of blurs those lines, but those lines are so stark to us because for us to self-sacrifice on the behalf of this thing out here, the community that I feel disconnected from or whatever, like I don't see any benefit in that for me. It's only taking. Does that make sense? Yes. Like I think about a bank closing in our area and like what impact would that have, right? Like the whole idea is that if his bank closes, then like people in this community won't be able to live in their homes. They're going to yeah. be kicked like their very livelihood is dependent upon him being a banker. Like, right. how could you say that for modern bankers? Not to say that a banker can't live in a way which enriches other people's lives, but there's just an entirely 
different dynamic there that comes from that locatedness and that uh, community and their connection. Nicholas, do you have any thoughts? Well, I think uh, the movie tries to... Uh, y'all's comments about uh, like it being the community versus church, uh, I, I never really thought about that. Uh, that's a good point. I think the movie tries to make up for it in the sense where... I think I want to say Capra knew that if he had made it about like church, that would have been a little too on the nose. Yeah, uh, and, and also like y'all were saying, it's it's a it's a different America where where you can where you can look at the American culture and glean Christian culture from that, or at least post Christian culture, mm-hmm. uh, which we can't really do that now, uh, exactly. But um, uh, you know, you see that the very first scene of the film is is everybody in the community praying for George Bailey. So you get the idea that there's this this oneness in God already in mm. the, in that community, or at the very least, that is what it represents, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I just make a completely off the wall comment right here? And that the the gym floor just opened up, and I did always have the thought when I watched this that uh, for those who don't know, there's a scene where there's a school dance uh, that apparently the entire community is at. Right. Um, yep. You know, uh, but in a gym, and the gym floor, like as a prank, like opens, and there's a pool beneath it. And for as poor as Bedford Falls is portrayed, I'm like, what <laughs> high school has a retractable gym floor in yeah. the forty? Does Does anybody have any background on that? Because With when the, I was watching that, I was like, this feels so random. Uh, <laughs> apparently, shot on location, I think, in Beverly Hills. So that's not right, that like, tracks. that's not a <laughs> yep. set that they built. I think that I think Beverly Hills is where where I read it was at, and uh, I think that's still it's still there today. I mean, wow, that, that gym is that? Do yeah. people do that anymore? Is that I, a thing? Like, <laughs> it feels very dangerous. Yes, yeah. Like, like, what if you're in the pool when that thing and closes? then they cl- right. like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, forget how dangerous it is to be on the gym floor while it's opening. <laughs> That anyway, is the horror sorry, movie version. I, yeah, I completely so took us took us off track. I've got a I got a couple more little comments like that. Little little gems I stole for some from some YouTube videos. Um, but anyway, well, I think we probably came full circle at least a little bit on that that first uh, uh, theme. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Do we want to talk about maybe um like I I don't know y'all actually have notes like prepared and stuff. So please feel free to guide the conversation forward as we continue, because um, I know we're on a limited time schedule today. Sure. But uh, maybe favorite moments in the film, kind of thing. Yeah, let's start with Nicholas. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's there's a couple that I that I love. Um, one is I guess it's two scenes, uh, but it's uh, I guess about halfway through the film where uh, where George meets with Mr. Potter, and Mr. Potter offers him a job. Uh, this is one of those, like I said, I played Mr. Potter, so this is one of those scenes where I'm like, I just know the whole scene. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I, I love that scene because when I'm t- when I talk about what I'm mean, looking for truth, you know, in movies, a lot a big way that I can see it is through evil and how evil is portrayed. And if a movie gets evil right, that's that's we're off to we're off to a good start. And that's the one where that's the scene I think where you you realize, oh, this they, they've got evil figured out here because you you see Mr. Potter and he's very satanic, you know. It's this he's yeah. he masquerades as a, as an angel of light, yep. you know, and and in that moment he's representing this, uh, 
a, a lot of our work culture here in America where he's like, you can, you can provide, he knows how to get to him. You can provide to, for your wife and your family and you can go on a couple business trips. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? You know, and you can make all this money. And, and George, I was just like, he, he kind of goes with it. He's like, you know, that's, that, that would be nice. And, and as a man, you, you see that and you're like, yeah, to, to be able to provide for the ones I love, my wife and my kids that way, well, he doesn't have kids at that point. Uh, but you know, to do that is, uh, that would be awesome. But then he goes to shake Mr. Potter's hand and he just, the law is written on his heart. He just knows from doing that, that like, nope, this is, this is evil right here. And I thought Mr. Potter's hand was just sweaty and cold and clammy. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the way he looks at it. Yeah, he kind of It could be that. <laughs> right. George hasn't fully learned his lesson yet, so <laughs> it could have just been that. But uh, he goes from there, and he goes as such a touching moment in the in the film. And when I watched it with Jolie last night, this scene popped up, and I was like, ooh, this, that's real. Because he walks home. It's, it's already dark, and Mary's already asleep in bed. And... You just hear in his in his head, his thoughts are echoing these moments from his life, where he said, "You know, I'm going to go out and see the world." You know, we we hear that. I, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that. And he's just having to contemplate all these sacrifices he's made, and you know, he's he's mulling over the decision he just made immediately of of I'm not gonna not gonna work for Mr. Potter. You know, and he, if you know, you can watch that and just be like, "Yeah, I know that." And then he looks at what is now framed that drawing of George Lasso's the moon, um, and he, he, you hear in his head another echo where he, where he, where that came from, where he says, "I'll give you the moon." Yeah. And and having been married now over a year, I just, I get that. I know, I know what he's what he means when he says that you want to give her the moon, um, and uh, and then she wakes up. And tells him that she's pregnant, and that's just uh, that's just there's a whole tonal shift right there. And like I said, I watch that and I I say, man, that's that's real, yeah. you know. That's just I, I have been through that right there. The other one, my other favorite moment is, I think it's the I think it's the best scene in all movie history. It's it's this it's a similar scene. Man, more hot takes, <laughs> more hot takes. It's, I'm I here think, for it. I think it's the best the best one. Is is after he is pretty certain he's going to jail, and uh, he's talked to Mister Potter. He's not gonna, which that's another yeah. satanic quality of yep. the the promise is empty. It's based on a yes. lie, so he's not gonna he's not gonna bail George out. He's not gonna forgive, unwillingness to to forgive. Uh, so George comes home, and the family is just in this really uh, endearing display of. Shoot, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of decorating for Christmas, and mm-hmm. they're so happy to. And you see just how loving his family is, because yeah. you kind up to that point, they kind of gloss over it. They're like, "And Mary was working on the house, and there were four kids, and <laughs> there was all the, you know." <laughs> you're like, "Whoa!" And you're like, "Okay." Yeah. But yeah, uh, this is a moment where you first get to you actually see the family dynamic, and they just have they have such a such sweet kids. And you see Mary, and she's just she's such a good wife. Um, she just uh, she welcomes him home, and she's so cheerful, and uh, and he's just down on his luck. And you see in that spl- this, uh, that scene over the course of the scene, uh, just all the uh, the weaknesses of man, yeah. you know, on display, and all the uh, just the the beauty of woman on display too, you know, because uh, he. 
just just in in the minutia when he's like, you know, what do I look like a dictionary? You know, why do we have to have all these kids? What's wrong with our car? You know, that's that's thoughts you have. You know, when you're when you're a man, it's just like everything is like, gosh, can I just control everything and yeah. everything be just be the way I want it? And and she just shows up with that that gentle and quiet spirit to love him. You know, even when he's not adhering to the word, and it's just such a such a beautiful display. Uh, I think all of us as husbands can know what that looks like. Um, and uh, and the the pinnacle of that scene is when he he walks over to. Uh, it's kind of revealed he's kind of, I guess, a hobbyist architecture uh, or architect or um, civil engineer. So he's got a model bridge in the little station. Um, and so, yeah, you just like, okay, he's a hobbyist for all the things he wanted to do for his career. So it kind of represents his his fallen dreams, and he just he just tears it up, and he, uh, he yeah. kicks it over. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, and like I said, that's the... That's the fallacy of man on display right there. It's just like you want all this control, and when you can't have it, you just want to destroy everything. Um, and so, so that's there's just there's so much truth in that scene. I, there's no other movie scene I watch and can just understand as as yeah. well as I can that one. Yeah, I think since I've had kids of my own, and you you grow into adulthood and you have responsibilities. I mean, I. Watching that scene earlier today, uh, that that was like emotionally gripping. It used to be one of, it's weird to say that that's like one of my favorite scenes of the movie, but it it definitely is. And it's so, I mean, number one, Jimmy Stewart is, man, does he turn it on in that man. scene. Yeah. I mean, good Lord. You just see <laughs> the acting chops, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but I, man, talk about resonating with, with his character and just it's the little details. So like when he goes to walk up the staircase and the post is loose. Yes. yes. Uh, and it you know how like I just I went yes. that's it. Yes. They just yes. showed me I've been there. <laughs> like oh the that's loose. I'm gonna have to fix that <laughs> on top of all this other stuff. You know. know. And there's noise everywhere. And it's just I resonated deeply. <laughs> I'm in this picture and I don't like with it. The, yes. Yeah. The straw that breaks the camel's back right, right there. Man. Yeah. In, intense. I mean, when when you talk about the, uh, and once again, I lifted this from someone that's a lot smarter than me, uh, which is why I put this in my notes. So back to that article I, I read from the Christian Post, she talks about the scene that you mentioned earlier where Potter is offering him you know, all of these things that he's wanted, the nicest house in town, traveling to Europe and money. And um, she compared it to the temptation of Jesus and how it's yes. very similar to Satan tempting Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, Matthew 4, 9 is what she quotes. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really, too, like as, as you were talking about, as a man, and you're, I'm sitting there watching that scene, and I put myself in in his position. I go, man, God, that that does sound really good. Like a security, 
and all the money that you wanted and you get to travel and you get all these nice things. And so you're putting yourself, that's what is great about the film is you are just examining yourself through that lens the whole time. You're like, what would I do? You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and then just watching him recoil when he, after he shakes his hand, he's like, no, you know, even at, even at his lowest point there where he's like, he's got nowhere else to go. He's just been offered like, dude, this is it. You can, you can be free of all your worries right now, all these anxieties, all these things that plague you. You, you take this deal, you're good to go. And he's like, and he, he's like, no, and he walks away. I mean, this is very powerful filmmaking for sure. Totally. Mm. It yeah. goes back to what you were saying, Jonathan, about that, like, you know, uh, tension between self-care and self-sacrifice where, yeah. it, where it's just kind of like, He's in that moment, it's just oh, so you know, take care of my family. This is the way to do it. But that's a big part of the film, part of what the film is saying, which is God knows better than than man. Man has answers of well, this is how I can take care of my family. This right. is this is how I should run my house. Yes. This is how I should live my life. But God has a different answer, and it's better. Yeah, you may not realize it, but it is. And so this is, this is a good segue because as we're kind of walking through the plot of this a little bit, so this leads him, so now he's like, he leaves his home. He's, at this point, he's kind of searching. He goes to a bar. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's feeling all the feels, and he decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, take my own life. I've had enough. He, kinda, he has a prayer. He prays to the Lord. And he's, he says something like, you know, about how he normally doesn't pray, or I can't remember the, the exact quotes, but he, he prays, and then he goes to take his own life. And then we are finally introduced, after this whole runtime, to Clarence the angel. <laughs> all, at this point, all we'd heard was his, his voice, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, well, we get that very Mormon <laughs> display of heaven where they're all in space. Yeah, yeah they're all like little, uh, I don't know, they're, like galaxy quintet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you that also light up when they talk. Right. You also love how, like, you know, George is down there, like at the most climactic moment of his life, contemplating suicide, and God's like. Uh, who's the C-string angel? Who's, who's like our, he's not that bright, but, you know, he's a hard worker. He's got to get his wings, man. Let's, let's get him up here. I mean, let's not let's send the expert who's been in this situation before. Yeah. No, let's get, let's get old Clarence. Yeah. Um, no, I, uh, it, it, when he shows up, and the, I, I remember thinking as a kid, um, you know, when Clarence shows up, he shows up, uh, in the water like george to commit suicide is yeah. like standing on a I'm gonna bridge jump in the water that he's gonna jump off of and clarence shows up and like jumps in the water before him and george then dives in to save him and my exact thought as a kid is i was like wait so he was gonna jump off the bridge to kill himself <laughs> But he just dove into the water to say, Jonathan, you are such an annoying kid. I can already, I can already hear you. Hey, Dad, Dad, Dad. Okay, so just right in the middle of a film. I, I mean, no, I, I think the plan was. And to you're drown. right. I That's think the so plan annoying. was to drown. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was probably caught and, and funny freeze. enough. It was freeze. Yeah. I don't think the jump was supposed to. <laughs> I, I can't you not saying as a kid. That's, pneumonia, hypothermia. I'm sure there's a lot of things they didn't yeah. have cures for. Julie asked this question while we watched it last night. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's so, not just yeah. me, Brad. Yeah. 
Well, you know. No, I mean, you're right. I've watched, see, uh, this is the problem. I mean, you catch a cold in the 40s, you're dead, like, right? I mean, that's kind of the, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, you get the flu, there's no... (laughs) They didn't no have vaccine. there were no allergies in the floor in the forties. So I mean, even if he even if he didn't drown, you know, maybe he dies like a week later. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, John Mark, not to point out more plot holes, but earlier in the film he saved his brother from falling through ice. He in did the water. And nobody died. He did. No one died. Anyway, sorry. Okay, moving on. Pro- okay. Probably a, yeah. a baptismal idea there you is go. what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, yeah. Both of those yeah. water scenarios. Yeah. So, okay. so love that. Clarence shows up and puts him in a position following what I've argued is one of the main themes, if not the main theme of the film, where he's mm-hmm. got to choose between doing what he wants to do in that moment and and putting that to the side to to do what's in the interest of of another. Someone yeah. he doesn't even know. And jumps in and yeah. saves Clarence. Now I have also. two thoughts about this. One that I, I think is beautiful, and one it's not a it's not a critique. It's more of a reflection. And I'm I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts on this. Nicholas, especially you. So from the one hand, it's beautiful because it ha- it's very much sort of Terrence Malick's a hidden life where he cannot see what he's doing, what he has done in his life. He cannot yeah. see all the fruit yeah. from his labor of dealing with these very um, imperfect, flawed people, right, that he's dealing with. And so when when this happens, he's able to see, oh, my gosh, look at the impact that I've had. Look at the effect that my life has had. And I think this why, you know, John Mark, you were talking about um, increase in depression and other issues when someone is disembodied. I think part of that reason is because if you are – just connecting with people online and you are completely removed from a community, right? Then you're not able to hear the testimony of others. You're not able to interact with others and see this kind of look at what my life means to other people. Look at the connections that I have. Look at and look at them speaking into me, all these sorts of things. And so I think that's clear, right? Um, the other thing that was heartbreaking to me is when he goes to see his wife <coughs> and his wife doesn't recognize him. And so here are my two thoughts that are totally unrelated. The first is, I think, in some ways, the movie overstates his significance. Oh, see, I was about to ask you if I could be annoying again. So here's the thing. I just wanted one person, one person to have the same story (laughs) as they did when he existed. As after, it's like, it's like he doesn't exist and everyone in Bedford Falls Lives goes to pot. It, it is well, kind of crazy how like every, every business is like a strip club. Like right. it, 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 it's their like, entire economy. <laughs> entire economy. I just needed one person to be doing okay. I love how soft I came in and how quickly this just got blown up because I was so hesitant. To say the criticism, and then y'all were already thinking it. Okay, so I can I can come in a little firmer, but I do think you know I think there's something for reflection there. Like I because I was thinking about it, especially with the wife, and I was like, yeah, Jordan would like definitely marry someone else, you know, and she would probably be <laughs> fairly happy, <laughs> happier, <the> <laughs> you know, like 
There's no, there's <laughs> that, no doubt we've all how thought bad, that. How bad of a bad? <laughs> that feels like an SNL sketch where this whole plan backfires. Everything's actually better. <laughs> <laughs> we have really gone like off the really, rails. Your wife is really doing gone. so much better. She is so happy. I mean, we're I, you're all thinking it is. She like walks out of the library and she's like looking around, kind of scared. You know, she's there on Christmas Eve working the midnight shift at the library. Um, but well, you know, why is that library open that late? I have no idea. That's how far she has fallen. Is just all up in here with the loot, with the, the so holes in the plotter. Right. Yes. I watch so, too many plot hole videos nowadays. Why? Okay, so what are we even talking about? So I think that was the one piece where I was like, I think from, you know, kind of a, a Christian perspective, we do have a view of ourselves that's not too high and not too low. And so I think there is a reality in which if I wasn't the associate pastor at Shades Valley and, you know, an angel brought me back, I don't think the building would be up in flames, you know, and someone's getting up preaching heresy or whatever. But... On the uh, there's a tension there because on the other sense you don't want to go to the pole where nothing I do matters right because yeah. then that takes right. you into meaninglessness and then I could just be replaced with somebody else and it's right. neither here nor there that in my mind kind of removes the particularity of God's work and His decision to work through us that like He called Jonathan to be the pastor of Shades Valley well someone else could yes but he. He didn't call them. He called Jonathan, right? He called John Mark. Called Nicholas to the work. Well, someone else could do video. Yes, but he called... You know, like, mm -hmm. there is a particularity that I think gives meaning and value and worth. And then there's also, I think, that keeps us from pride, the other end of the spectrum of that, okay, I shouldn't have too inflated of my view because my wife could marry someone else and be happy, and someone else could be the pastor at Shades Valley. So, anyway, those are just my thoughts around that. But I think uh, the most beautiful scene for me is the end, and I it has to be one of the most beautiful scenes in the film, tell me if y'all disagree, is when everyone comes in with, yeah. with the money and the yeah. look on his face, yeah. once again, just <sighs> incredible acting, yeah, is, so the, is the money comes in and his despair has been returned, yeah. has been turned to rejoicing, and he see he sees the fruit of his labor. And yeah. I'm like, this is, this is eschatology right here. Like, totally. Talk about truth in the ending of a movie. Like, this is the eschaton yeah. where we yeah. finally see, like, yes. oh, Lord, I see... This all makes sense now, mm -hmm. and this is so beautiful. And here we are together, you know, opening a bottle of wine and celebrating. Yeah, um, enjoy. So, I mean, that. I mean, it's beautiful. But what I took away from that scene was that the only I knew thing the pause. Oh I knew uh, when he did the pause. I knew he was gonna break. Yeah. The only thing you need is one rich friend who can give you the $25,000. <laughs> if I was one of those other people, I'd be like, uh, can I get my 18 bucks back now? <laughs> I took that out of my kid's college fund. Um, it seems like you're okay. I'm sorry. I'm in a mood today. I'm really glad, Brad, that, that all of y'all brought your A game and you came for theological reflection because I'm just... Uh, I'm just over here for the giggles. This today. is this is the both and. This is the both and. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. But no, like that was all I had. I I, I do think um no Brad, I do think that like what you were pointing out there theologically um is a beautiful um it's a theologically rich perspective uh to bring to life that guards us from two extreme errors, right? 
you know, like you were talking about despair on one end and meaninglessness and pride on on the other. And um, I think that that is like a uniquely uh, something that's unique to the Christian faith and perspective on God and His sovereignty and how He works in and through means means of of people. And I do think that that yeah. Uh, brings a lot of beauty to bear, even more beauty than we see, like portrayed through the film. Mm-hmm. Do you yes. have any closing thoughts, Nicholas, or or do we still get to Did be we friends? Derail- have I, have well, I made he's, okay, too he's many so jokes? He's, okay, he's well, like, so but upset. Nicholas, I would like to. Do you have any put? Because I, you know, we invite pushback here on the podcast. Do you have, to my perspective of like, you know, the town just completely falling apart? Do you have mm-hmm. any? Or is there anything that you're seeing that we're not seeing as we look at that? That's kind of what I'm asking. No, no, no. I think that's a valid point. Um, and uh, I have pushback. I, I had you put it earlier. It's like kind of overestimates his existence or something, overvalues him or something. But um, I, I think it's in the in the context of the story we're told. It it makes sense. Yes, it, it works because because you it got you got work. into it yourself. Yeah. Where it's like when he when, once Clarence appears, that that's where we don't really get to experience that we don't i mean maybe some people do on on different occasions but this is not a regular god sends down a spiritual being manifest in the flesh for you to see and and have this supernatural experience you know at that point we get into you know like you were saying eschatology where it's like he has to enter the kingdom of heaven in order to see uh, what's really going on, and that only yes. works if he in this the in the case of how this story is told, that only works if he's if he's such a valuable member of society and doesn't even realize it. And I think necessarily uh, to use that language, uh, it's it's where this film is r- remains true is that you know we're 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 going to realize the same thing too you know maybe we don't get there and and see exactly what george says oh i saved everyone's life in in bedford falls no 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 mm-hmm. but but you we are going to get there and realize oh god was using me in ways i didn't even over my head yes you know? yep. totally and it's yeah, where and where, I, where this this guy has been really helpful for me i'm holding up Cal- a little uh, john calvin uh, yep. thing oh. where it's kind of like you know no matter what you do you know god is is in charge of of that totally and i think to be f- uh, just to be clear, I think it works too in the movie, and and I'm o- okay with even the exaggerated nature of it. Yeah, right. To, I don't think you can make the point without the exaggerated nature of it. Exactly. So. That's the pushback I was yeah. going to give, and that I was going to argue <laughs> for, um, is that like all for all of my joking around over here with plot holes, and and it's it's a cottage industry on YouTube, right? There are YouTube channels that exist. They do it with every film, right? Yeah. Right, with absolutely all films, and and what I. What I think that's doing, and it's the same thing we were all doing just then with this whole scene through Bedford Falls where it all fell apart, you know, without him, blah, blah, blah. Like, what we're doing is we're basically taking the rules of making a documentary almost and applying it to something that's not a documentary. Mm. Like, we're making... uh, a particular art form play by a different set of rules where it's got to perfectly reflect reality. When art doesn't do that, art aims to portray truth and to grab you with truth and and communicate it, it often portrays it in a way that is, you could call it exaggerated or you could call it elevated or whatever, 
But so good art has things that you connect with on a real level that it pulls you into. Like, I can relate to this. I can do all of that. But it also pulls you out of your normal in order to try and communicate uh, a truth that it wants you to carry back into your normal. And so obviously the exaggerated nature of what happens with George in that whole sequence in Bedford Falls is is an exaggerated version of the truth that like your life matters. Like even when you even when it doesn't turn out the way that you want it to, even when uh, you live in a small town and you we work a normal 9 to 5 job and blah, blah, or whatever, like you can't trace the ripple effect of your life and it's worth it. And it, and so it it grabs you by the collar with that and shoves that truth in your face, right? Yes. And and so that's why I think it works in the context of the movie and and works to communicate that. And I think that like as much as we joke about that, um like if if Clarence does take him through this scenario and it really only affects like one person's life or something like that. It doesn't, right. it doesn't land like, the same. It is maybe the he, maybe he should have ended it. I'm not it's, sure. It's the SNL sketch at that now point. Now he's yeah. questioning yeah. everything. Yeah. So I'm actually more unsure than I was before. Right. Right. So, so anyway, no, that's so, good. so that, that was the, uh, my pushback on my own yes. joking on things. That's a good point. Can I, can I make well, another so. point that was, uh, Totally random that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, when he's, when his wife sees him and she doesn't recognize him, you see the reaction that that has for him of like, she doesn't know who he is. And so that just made me think he sees how much, not only does he love his wife, but he sees the connection that he has with his wife in that moment. He's able to see that. And that just caused me to reflect on my own marriage and to think mm-hmm. if I walked in today and, you know, say Jordan has some sort of brain injury or trauma or something, gets older, has Alzheimer's. Like, you hear stories about this all the time. Notebook, I know. Okay. But just the idea of, like, she's looking at me and she doesn't know who I am, and that communicates what a deep connection you have, Mm. that it's so heartbreaking Mm. that that person doesn't know you. It's hard to communicate. Like, they don't know you. You know what I feel like punches the hardest in that scene, like punching that they don't know me is when he grabs her and shakes her. And in that scene, it's like freaky and horrifying to her and all of that. And this is the exact thing he did earlier in the movie where they like fall in love and kiss for the first time is he grabs her and he shakes her. It's a super weird scene. We can talk (laughs) about that later, but, but it's the opposite, (laughs) but it's the opposite. It's like the exact same kind of moment of like, we're beginning to enter into this thing. Yep. You know, um, now it just, it, it plays completely different. It's just that, 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 that contrast of that shock and horror you're talking about. Nicholas, totally. is that around the time there's this shot? Uh, it's only on my mind cause I watched it this morning, but the shot where they zoom in on his face and he's just got that look oh, of horror. Yeah. Is that, I that love is, that shot. That shot is, that is so cool. We, we, yeah. And kind of rare. I feel like it, for filmmaking yes. back in the forties. It like, very much is. That is a, that scene, that shot is when, um, shoot, when is that? Um, He's got it's, like it's this some, look of horror somewhere on in his there. Face. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He that that is a rare wide angle close up, yes. which is extremely it rare so for, cool. for 1946 yes. or five, whenever this was. Um, and not only is it a wide angle close up, which is rare back then, he looks directly into the lens. Yes, which is also very rare yeah. back then. But it's just such a 
sleeper hit of a shot. Really? Uh, and real. it's really, really good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's great. It's wonderful. Mm. Are th- is there anything it's else? So wonderful. Sorry. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful movie. movie. Nicholas, is there anything else that you were like, and it can just be random, that you were like, dang it, I wanted to say this, and I didn't get the opportunity? Well, you know, I'm sure I'll think of a thousand and one <laughs> as soon as I leave here. <laughs> of course. Uh, but I'll try to come up with it now. I just, you know, I just want to make sure, you know, I get this said. Um, uh, and that's just that. I, I love I love what a good wife Mary is. Reminds me of someone else in my own life. Um, but, uh, but she, she, she's so, she loves him so well mm. and she just, again, I, th- I think about like Peter when he mentions, and he's not know, the easiest dude to love. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when Peter mentions, you know, you know, wives, when your, your husbands don't, don't follow the word, you know, just be there with a gentle and quiet spirit and they'll, they'll know. And that's exactly what I see. And, uh, you know, in God's, God's sight, it's very precious. Um, and like I said, she, she reminds me so much of Jolie. And because because that's that's how we've been, um, where, you know, where I'm not very easy to love all the time, but she's just there. And, um, you know, you know, so so there you go, Jolie. I said it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but but in, in truth, <laughs> in yeah. truth, this this film grows grows more relevant for me each year. Yeah. And that's one of one of the ways it, it has uh, in recent years. Um, like I said, I, I sure, I, I'm sure I'll think of a thousand and one other things to say after I leave, but yeah, mm. I mean, it's a great film. Go watch it. Don't be afraid that it's in black and white. Yeah. Black and white's better sometimes. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there you have it. I love it. I have to go pick up my children. So <laughs> I, I really enjoyed watching this film and I enjoyed talking about it. John Mark, imagine you. what would happen if you weren't there. To pick up your children. <laughs> Should I be sacrificial and just f- keep going on this podcast? Would that be? It's for the community. W- if it's for the community, wouldn't that be the? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this was there great. Is. No, because if you don't, then some angel's going to show up yeah. and, and show you what it would be like if Ashley didn't know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a wonderful life. You can stream it. You can buy it. Yep. You can rent it. All the ways. I'm sure it normally comes on NBC every year. I feel mm-hmm. like it's like if you still watch network television. I feel it like that's that. what it normally comes yeah, on. Yeah, but, but then it's like a three-hour film. Right. Yeah. The commercials, I know. I know. Uh, Nicholas, I just love yes. having you here, man. You thank just brought you. so much. Well, thank you. Uh, to this to really here. elevated the intelligence level yes. of the podcast. Thank you. Uh, fourfold. I Some say. of us were struggling. <laughs> thank you for bearing oh, with us. Goodness. Y'all are very kind. Well, I hope all of you have a very Merry Christmas. I don't know. There may be one more episode in between now and Christmas time here on Shades Midweek. But either way, have a Merry Christmas and uh, a Happy New Year. And as always, if you have thoughts on the film or anything that we talked about, you can always email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Why is that, Brad? Because here at Shades Midweek, you're part of the wonderful conversation what would the conversation be like if you didn't contribute to it it's worth thinking about merry christmas awesome thanks